Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy Thank you so much, everybody. I will definitely never use that stick, um, but not not because I have better ones, but because that one is going to mean so much to me for forever. I do have uh, in my office, I have a couple sticks that just kind of like <clears throat> are memorable or were from momentous occasions or get different games that I played in the past. Uh, and that's going to go right up alongside those ones and probably is going to take the cake for a hockey stick in my office that means the world to me. So that is just, that's hilarious. That's like the perfect thing for me, obviously. So <clears throat> thank you guys so much. Sorry, I'm just getting things set up here. Yeah, so as Peter obviously just explained, uh, this is my... My final Sunday with you guys. Now, some of you may still have a few little questions or wondering about, I was actually discovering this week that there were some people who still didn't even have a clue that I was leaving the church. I got emails and a couple messages and they were like, what is happening? I heard rumblings that this was happening. And so I just want to say I'm sorry. The speed in which everything unfolded um, didn't allow my wife and I to communicate to the fullness that we would have ideally liked to have done. Um, but to make a long story short, I will just say this. Uh, this is so clearly Jesus leading us. Like when this opportunity arrived, what happened is she, my wife has taken a seven-month contract for nursing back in Saskatchewan. It actually happens to be in the hospital where she did her nursing oncology training. And so she accepted that. We're moving there till October. And we even tried to close this door when it opened. And God has just made it so abundantly clear that, like, he's leading and providing that we just had to move in this direction. So that's the only reason we're leaving. We had actually made plans this last fall that we weren't going anywhere, that we weren't leaving the island. And now Jesus pulls this on us. So um, I just wanted to let you guys know that because I also want to let you guys know this, that, that our leaving, I mean, it is an exciting season for my wife and I just to see how God is so clearly calling us somewhere. But it also makes me excited for you guys because this transition isn't just about the Ross and Brittany show. 
Like, I firmly believe that God is doing this. And sure, if you're sad that I'm leaving, that's fine. But it should also come with an air of excitement about what God is opening up and preparing for this place. I fully believe that with all of my heart. I was actually just thinking uh, this past week about when Peter and I, one of the first times we got together to discuss the potential of me coming on staff here, and we were up in his office, and we were talking about the role and some of the responsibilities and what it might look like and all of these different things, and we ended our time praying together. And I, never, I will remember I prayed. I said, Lord All I want is your church to grow. All I want is your will for your church. So if I am not the man that is supposed to take this job, make that so clear to the board, make it so clear to Peter, and I'll be okay with that. Because all I want is the Lord's will for DPC. And if God is calling me away to something, I firmly believe it's because he's opening up a space to do something even greater, something that I maybe couldn't do here. DPC, I am so excited for the future and what God has in store for this church, and I hope you guys are as well. Now, with that being said, I will just segue also into the sermon this morning by just once again saying something I've said many times from the stage. DPC, I love you. I love you. I love this church. I love so many of you as individuals. I love you as a collective body. You have been so incredible to me. And I say that just to let you know that when Peter asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, If I would be able to share one more message with you before I leave. As someone who loves to preach, I was shocked by the weight of anxiety that I felt. Like, normally I'm like, yeah, absolutely, let me preach. But I was like, kind of like, uh, maybe not. Like, I was like, scared a little bit. And that was only because I started to think about the weight of this moment right now. I really did. To think about what, what could I possibly say? How could I maybe wrap up into words these two years of serving alongside of you? Three years of being part of this congregation. What could I possibly say? My words will only ever fall short. But very quickly after that, I really felt the Lord lead me to what he wants me to share with you this morning. Now, funny enough, this is actually part of what you're going to hear this morning is part of a message that the Lord gave me last year. So last summer, uh, my wife and I traveled in uh, July to Saskatchewan. That silly province is going to come up a lot this morning. And we went to a family reunion for my Breitkreit side of the family. There was over 150 of us from all over. Some were from Germany. We were all over the world. And at this service, or at this family reunion, we held on the Sunday morning, the last event was a Breitkreitz kind of family member only church service, over 150 of us. And my family um, asked me if I would preach at this service. Now, that weighed very heavy on my heart and mind. I knew in that setting this would be on this side of heaven likely the last time I would ever get to speak to some of these people. It would be the last time we probably worship together in that setting. And the message that the Lord prepared in my heart back then for my biological family, and I don't know why I didn't think this sooner, it is the message I want to share with you this morning. 
the spiritual family that I've come to know and love so much. So, to help set up our message this morning, or to help set the table, and you're going to understand that pun in a minute. It's going to fall a little bit short on you. Uh, I want you guys to imagine something with me, all right? First of all, I want you guys to picture and imagine, or at least create a list, of your 8 to 12 closest people in your life. The 8 to 12 closest, most significant people in your life. Picture them in your head, the people that you just, like, you love. Like, you love these people. Maybe it's your kids. Hopefully, it's your spouse. Um, maybe it's some friends from college, university, whatever. 8 to 12 of the closest people in your life. Now, I want you to picture being at, like, a dinner party with them. All right, at like one of these incredible evenings out. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things in the world are like long dinners with loved ones. Uh, I have like a very vivid memory when my brother and sister-in-law were living on Ontario. My mom, dad, and I went out to visit them and we went to Ottawa for a weekend. And like the one thing that stands out is we went for this like meal out and we were at dinner for like three hours. It was incredible. It's such a great memory for me. Actually, in fact, my wife and I, um, just before she moved to Saskatchewan, we were on vacation down in California. We were in the Napa Valley, and we did a lot of really fun stuff, but one of the greatest times of our whole week away was, once again, this really long meal that lasted over three hours where we just sat and we just visited and we laughed. I want you to picture an evening like that. Maybe you've had the honor of having a moment like this with close loved ones before. Picture an evening like that with 8 to 12 of your closest people. Now I want you to picture this. I want you to imagine that somehow, some way, you have foreknowledge. You know. You're the only one at this dinner who knows that this is the last time you will have a chance to speak to your closest loved ones before they walk into the darkest season and trial of their lives. This is your last opportunity before moments from now, the people you love most in the world, the people you have walked closest with, are about to have their faith absolutely shaken and rocked. I want you to think about how you might approach that meal. That you have the foreknowledge that this is coming. Would you not think that you might have a sense of desperation? That the conversation that you would be having with them would be so intentional? That you might even want to do anything that you could to try and prepare them? Like, and you can't just come out and say, hey, this is going to happen, because they might not and likely wouldn't even believe you. So maybe there's a part of you that has a desperation that if I could just say something that they could cling to so that they can be prepared because they don't know what is about to happen. What would the atmosphere for you be like in a meal like this? Well, we are discussing this morning a moment exactly like that because when I think of what some final words I could maybe share what the church could be I can't think of better final words than the one Jesus share with his disciples at the last supper this is the setting for Jesus and his disciples at 
the Last Supper as he knew what was coming, and none of them did. And this is what I want to take a look at. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to John chapter 16. And we've already set the scene and the atmosphere a little bit for this encounter that we're going to take a peek at, right? Now, another couple things to know is that Jesus, which is kind of funny, I didn't actually think about this till now, he had just spent three years doing life with his disciples. I've been on the island for about that same length of time now. So Jesus, after three years of walking side by side with his disciples, healing people, teaching people, teaching them, uh, and they're following him, he's now sitting down to have this meal with them, and they sit down for supper that, as I've shared, we all know is called the Last Supper, right? You've all probably seen the picture of the Last Supper, very famous photo Okay, in your Bible, your heading somewhere in this area might even say at the top of it, the Last Supper. Okay, but here's what we need to understand. Here's what we need to understand. And actually, this is a good practice if you can ever remember to do this. Because one of our issues when we read the Bible is we often know uh, the, the end from the beginning. Like, we know what's coming. So we, there's a lot of things that feel anticlimactic. As much as you can, try and read your Bible as if you don't know what's going to happen and put yourself in the position of those people who would have been experiencing those moments in real time. Because I'm telling you, the disciples did not know this was called the Last Supper. Like, we need to be aware of that. They did not walk into the room that evening just fully convinced and just being like, oh, really? I guess this is it, guys. Last Supper, like they, they didn't know that. We called it that afterwards. They had no idea. They were oblivious to everything that we now know is going to happen. They were oblivious that it was going to happen. To them, this was just a Passover supper that they were going to share with Jesus, a meal that likely from their time of ministering with him would have been, this would have been the second or third time they would have shared a Passover meal with Jesus. So, however, as we know, Jesus knew. Jesus is the foreknowledge of what was coming. So could you, can you imagine what he must have felt? Like, I have to imagine there must have been a sense and a level of desperation for Jesus to want to communicate, to prepare his boys for the season that they were soon walking into. Now, we're looking at, um, we're looking at this conversation at the Last Supper in chapter 16, but this is actually a conversation that began back in chapter 14. Now, we're not going to go back there and cover all that, but I believe when you do read it, you can start to sense a desperation and a passion in Jesus as he's communicating with the disciples. Because some of the things that he says throughout these two chapters and that he repeats is he repeats things like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Right? Like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Obey. Obey what I tell you. Listen to what I am telling you. I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you're going to believe. And he says, all this I am telling you so you will not go astray when it happens. He repeating these things over and over during the course of this meal. And in my mind, as I'm reading that, I get this sense that Jesus, in, on some level, is just trying to say, listen. Listen. 
Like, you need to pay attention. Almost like you don't even know how important the things I am sharing with you are. That is the sense that I get as Jesus is desperately trying to communicate to his disciples. And this is the backdrop for our verses that we're going to look at this morning. So, jumping in, we're going to start now. John 16, starting with verse 16. Jesus says to his disciples, In a little while you will see me no more. Then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What, what does he mean? What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. And when he says, Because I'm going to the Father. And they kept asking, What does he mean by in a little while? We just don't understand what he is saying. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Now, looking at these verses as a standalone, jumping into the conversation, uh, this can seem a little bit confusing at first, but I just have to say this. Uh, I 100% agree with the disciples. Like, I 100% agree when they're just like, what, what is he saying? Like, what, what does he mean? Now, once again, for us, we, we know where the story is going, so it seems kind of obvious. So we don't fully appreciate the confusion that this must have left the disciples with. And now, I will also say this. Now, they're right at this moment where we jumped in, they're saying like, hey, he's been saying this. We don't understand. This is also something that he's been repeating throughout the course of their conversation. And they were not comprehending what he is trying to say. Now, like I said, we know that this is talking and discussing about Jesus' upcoming death, burial, and then resurrection. But you need to appreciate how confusing this must have been for the disciples in this moment. Like, this would be like for you if this upcoming week on like Wednesday, let's say, you get a text on your phone and you open it up and it's like, oh, I got a text from Jim. And you read it, and Jim texts you, and it says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore, but then after a little while, you'll see me. Right? I'd be like, Jim, are you drunk? I'd be like, dude, we, we actually have a tea time booked on Saturday morning. Like, what do you mean I'm not going to see you. Like, you guys need to understand, the disciples not knowing what Jesus knew, they very likely had plans, right? They're sitting down for the Passover supper, and they're like, yeah, and so like, this is Friday, you know, we're probably going to go do something on Saturday, maybe Sunday's going to look like this, we'll hit up the synagogue, and now Jesus is like, yeah, you're not going to see me for a little while, but then you'll see me. So these guys are so confused by what he is saying. And so what I love is Jesus, aware of their confusion, he now addresses it, responding in verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. In response to their wonder, knowing that they have this level of confusion, I love that um, Jesus uses this opportunity to answer their question and then speak directly to it. And I love that he just, after getting their attention, what he communicates here is a simple truth that many of us have heard in our lives. 
What he's communicating as they're wondering this question, as he's like, okay, I got your attention. You're wondering this thing. Here's what you need to know. This is what I'm telling you. And he shares the very simple reality that in our life, we are going to endure trials. In our lives, we are going to have seasons of difficulty, of suffering, of struggles. But he's telling his disciples, but do not abandon the faith. Do not walk away. It's only going to be a little while. God is going to pull you through it. He is trying to encourage them and comfort them. Church, we will all face deep valleys and seasons in our lives, but God will not abandon you there. And when we walk through those seasons, placing our faith in him, he, and I believe only he, will be able to transform your grief into joy. He can redeem your suffering. I've seen it done in my life time and time again. So he tells this, he communicates this to his disciples, and then he's trying to build out this with a more of a word picture as we continue in verse 21. He then says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus' message is so clear. We are going to endure these seasons, but we need to stay steadfast and hold on. There are going to, I think it's so, have anyone here, I'm going to keep my hand up because I am in this category. Has anyone went through a season in their life, a hard and difficult time, and you felt like you couldn't see Jesus? You felt like you couldn't, yeah, you felt like you were in that little while? You felt like he almost spoke to you and you saying, in a little while you may, you may not see me for a little bit, but after a while you will. I'm telling you, hold on. He is there. Jesus is encouraging his disciples. And what is coming on the other side will far outweigh what you went through. This is what he is saying. This is why he uses this analogy of a woman giving birth. We will end up with a joy that can never be taken away. Church, I just love how Jesus, remember, this is his final words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's not sitting there and being like, excuse me. And he's not sitting there and being like, hey, you know what? Uh, When you follow me, the Christian life, it is a cakewalk. Like, how could he, when he is the one knowing what is coming down the pipe? He is telling you there's going to be hard times on this earth. So we cannot, we cannot use difficult seasons in our lives as an argument to discredit God's presence in them. We cannot do that. Jesus is making it very clear that no matter what, we're going to have trouble, but our time of grief will be short. Another thing that I love about Jesus as he's unpacking this and he's trying to explain things to his disciples is, you know what I really appreciate? I appreciate that he doesn't just come out and like give them an itinerary for the weekend and almost be like, boys, 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 this is what's going to go down. Don't worry about it. Okay? Ain't no thing. Right? It's going to be three days. Just don't, don't worry about it. 
Because first of all, I mean, when we know the, the end from the beginning, we look and we're just like, he was pretty clear. Like, how did they not know what was going to happen? So first of all, I don't think they would have even believed it if he did. But what I really love is I love how we can identify with these men so deeply because they were left to just trust the word of God in their season of grief and trial. That is what they had to do. God wasn't minimizing. He wasn't trying to downplay. Jesus was like, you need to. This is what. This should communicate to us. At the end of the day, you don't even need a timeline. You don't need God to come to you and say, and at 643 on the 21st, that's when it's going to end. You don't need that. What you need is to put your faith in his word and believe him and do not waver and stand on the gospel. And that's all you need. That is enough to get you through whatever you feel like your little while is. That is going to be the key to overcoming. What we need to do, church, is to go deeper. If you are in a season of, str- of tr- trials and struggles, or struggles is what I tried to say. If you are in a season of trials and struggles, church, I want to encourage you with something one of my closest friends told me right after my divorce, not a great season in my life, and he phones me, and he says, and not like in a really loving way, but my personality, it really spoke to me, and he says, do not waste this opportunity. Have you ever been in a season, most of you who had your hands up where you felt like you didn't really feel God? I would imagine you can put your hands up for this one too then. You ever been in those trials and in those seasons where you have a a deeper hunger for the Lord? That has pushed you to a level of desperation that you've never had before when things are just clicking right on track? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like you were more willing to surrender things in your life because your need for him was so much deeper during that trial and during that season? Because of that, I would encourage you, do not waste your grieving. Go deeper into him. Trust his word. And believe and know that in the end you will be given a joy that can never be taken away. Now, another thing I want to talk about here is is this little phrase, in a little while. Because if you think about it, you probably all don't like it as much as I don't. I don't think we like the term in a little while because it's vague. That is as comforting as a root canal. Like, can you think of the last time someone used that line on you? In fact, if you're a parent, this might be one of the favorite ones in your arsenal, right? It's like, hey, I want to watch TV. Go outside. You can do that in a little while. And your kid's like, "What? That, is that eight hours? Is that 30 minutes? Like, it means nothing. It is so vague. I was reflecting on this once again this week, and I was remembering, and oddly enough, it was, uh, re- uh, pertains to Saskatchewan, I was thinking about vivid memories of when I was told in a little while, and I hated it. And it would often be when my family, we would pack into our van, and we would drive to Saskatchewan to go to the family farm and visit family for the summer. And sure enough, as a kid, we're driving along, and what would I do? I would ask my parents, When are we going to be there? Are we there yet? To which my parents would respond with, in a little while. 
that was not comforting for me as a kid. Like what I wanted to hear, what I really wanted to hear when I asked, are we there yet or how much longer, is, hey, actually, we're here. We've arrived at the farm, and wouldn't you know it, they're handing out hockey cards and chocolate milk. Like that's what I wanted to hear as a child. But here is the thing. Here's the thing, and this is what I want us to know this morning about when Jesus says, in a little while, and we'll talk about it a bit more. As the parent driving, being asked, what do you mean by in a little while? Just like the disciples asked Jesus, here's what you know as the parent. You know that that in a little while, it actually isn't going to kill your kid. You know your kid's going to make it. Here's what else you know. You know that that little while is building little patience. That little while is building a little endurance. And here's what else you know. As the parent, and here's what else God knows over your life and over mine, that little while, it really is just a little while. God is telling us, he's telling his disciples, he's saying, hold on in the grand scheme of things with the journey and the destination I have every intention and I have promised to bring you to this is just a little while church we need to endure during this little while God's got everything in control now the weight of these words in a little while also carry a twofold meaning which I love so much. For his original audience and it can be the same for us. For the disciples right now, Jesus is definitely talking about his upcoming death and burial. He's saying there's going to be this season, this time. It's just going to be a little while. All right, And that can be maybe for you here this morning in the church or maybe you're watching online and you're going through a season, you're going through a struggle. Have you ever come through a dark season that it felt like the minutes were just like taking so long to pass but now you're years removed and it just, when you look back, it seems like it was kind of like a blink, right? Not downplaying what you went through. But it was like, that doesn't feel as long as it felt anymore. I know I felt that. I suffered from depression for about three years. Was suicidal for about two of them. That was a daily battle. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was like, yeah, that was pretty quick. It still sucked. Has anyone else ever felt that? Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, you got a season, but it's just going to be like a little while. It's about the immediate impact that is going to happen in their lives very, very soon. But there's also the second meaning of what Jesus is saying when he says, in a little while. And what he is referring to, I fully believe, is this. Jesus is telling and talking to his disciples about their time on earth and ours. And that in the grand scheme of eternity, this place, which, if we are honest, is filled with seasons of struggling and trials and endurance and pain, is only going to appear like a little while. I heard years ago uh, a pastor, and this just stuck out in my head. He asked his congregation, he said, how many of you can remember uh, kindergarten or the first week of kindergarten specifically? 
And he's like, he couldn't, right? He couldn't remember. And he said, I liken how little I can remember about kindergarten to how much I'll likely remember about my time on earth in eternity. And he's like, if someone comes to me in heaven, this is the line that killed me. He's like, if someone comes to me in heaven and asks me, hey, what was your time on earth like? He's like, uh, I don't know. I think I wore a hat. <laughs> like, I just thought that was so funny. But like, this is what Jesus is encouraging us with. That even though we are going to be on this earth and it's going to hurt. And that's okay. You want to know why? We are not in this broken, fallen earth going to taste and experience the fullness of what God has created us for. But that is coming. And when we receive that, when we walk into glory, when we are in eternity with him forever, this is going to feel like a little while, right? We're going to be in eternity and be like, oh yeah, that really was exactly what he said he was. So he's encouraging his disciples to live their lives with what I refer to as an eternal mindset. Keep your minds on eternity. Stop thinking about the hours, the days, the weeks, and months, but think about eternity, that ultimate goal that is beyond the here and now. And I love this so much because Jesus, like, you guys ever, like, this kind of just struck me, but how often Jesus was preaching something that he himself was going through. Like, he is going through this right now. Think about that. He is at this dinner, and he's telling his disciples, you're going to endure a season of grief, but you have to believe that what God has in store is greater, that there's a greater joy that you're going to receive if you can just trust him with this season of suffering. And Jesus is preaching this to his disciples as he prepares himself to surrender to the Father's will and die on the cross for us. He is about to practice what he preaches. He is about to do what the Bible says. Endure the cross, scorning its shame, right? For the joy that was set before him. He endures the cross, scorns its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. He is our perfect example of this as he is telling it to his disciples. So let me repeat, now may be your time of grief, but take heart, you will see Jesus and you will rejoice. And on that day, no one and no thing will be able to take away that joy. In the meantime, what I love is that Jesus now continues the conversation by comforting his disciples, even though they didn't fully understand it, and comforting us by telling them, oh, and guess what? During your here and now, during your little while, I'm not, e I'm not leaving you. Because here's what he goes on to say. This is what he shares with his disciples next. He says, that in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, once again, this can seem like a slightly confusing 
uh, verse here as Jesus tells his disciples they'll no longer ask him questions. But what Jesus is ultimately telling them about, what he's leading them to understand, what he's preparing them for is the coming and the arrival and God's sending of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, when I originally preached this sermon to my primarily German Baptist family, uh, I now had to explain who that was, the Holy Spirit. Uh, But no, I'm joking. They knew, or they had at least heard of him. Um, But you Pentecostals know who that is. But this is what Jesus is doing. But we we need to understand this, and once again, we need to appreciate this, how mind-blowing this must have been for the disciples. They grew up in the Jewish faith. They grew up with this like hierarchical order to get close to God. They grew up being told and taught and practicing that the only way you come to God is through the sacrificial system. And even then, you're not actually in his presence, right? Even with all of the sacrificial system only, as we've been learning over the last number of years through Hebrews, through our study of Exodus, we know that the only person who actually was in the presence of God was the high priest, and that was once a year. And now Jesus is telling them that he's cutting out the middleman because he's going to die for us, And we are going to have a comforter, an advocate, and a helper to be with us. His spirit and his power during our little while. This would have been mind-blowing for the disciples to wrap their heads around coming from the world they came from. And you know what? Maybe this is even crazy for you to think about. But this is what Jesus is explaining to his disciples. Which means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are physically right now, God is ready to invade your life if you'll let him. He is ready to come into places and spaces and situations if you invite him and be that helper, be that advocate, be that comforter. Even if it's just to help give you the strength to stay standing, his spirit is there. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is what we now have, church. We can walk and we can live and we can rest in this. We are not left to endure the little while alone. So Jesus then continues with this, verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's explaining like direct conversation, direct line to God. Crazy for them to think about. No, the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came from you. That's salvation message right there. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This was powerful news for the disciples and it's powerful news for us. I mean, I just pointed it out. Verse 27, he says, The Father loves you himself because you loved me and believed that I came from God. That is right 
there. That is the gift of salvation, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. He spells it out. And at this point, this next moment here in the story, I feel like it must have almost felt like a weight off of Jesus' shoulders or a sense of peace because the disciples turn and they go, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you have come from God. I feel like in this moment, with this response, there's almost like Jesus is sitting there and the disciples are having like that light bulb moment, right? It's like they're, they're getting it. They actually understand who I am. They understand who my Father is. They are starting to put together the fullness of everything that I've been revealing to them for three years. I would have to feel like in this moment, Jesus is like, this is beginning to click. Like you believe at last, this is what Jesus replies to them with. Like, could you think if this is you and you're sitting there and you're with your 8 to 12 favorite people and you're at this dinner and there's something you want to imprint, imprint on their souls that they will walk with as they enter into this dark season and, and whatever it is and all of a sudden you see it click. You see them listening. You see it penetrate, not just their minds and their ears, but also their hearts. Would you not be so excited? Would you not feel so much peace in that moment to be like, I can't, yes, you believe at last. It's like on that night, in this moment, the disciples seem to fully embrace the fact that God had sent Jesus, and they're finally getting it. And so I feel like right now, right now, in this point in the conversation, maybe now is the moment where they are really ready. They're fully in. They believe. And Jesus sees it. He goes, finally, you believe. So to me, this sets the context for the climax of the entire evening. Where if you finally know in that moment, I have their attention. It's starting to sink in. Now, what will I speak that I believe with all of my heart they're going to embrace? that they are going to anchor themselves to and hopefully walk with for the rest of their lives. And we come to Jesus' final words to his disciples. And church, I hope that for you, you cling to these words like a lifeline. As Jesus tells them this, I have told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Church, no matter what we come to, no matter what we're up against, I've been through some things, and I have been just like everyone else. I have looked for peace through either having the situation solved or getting the thing that I think I need. And I love that Jesus says, I've told you these things so that. I'm telling you this this morning so that you understand and you get it through your heads that the where you are going to find peace is in him. Your peace will come from him, not even the resolution of a situation. Our peace should come from him and the confidence that he has overcome the world. Amen? 
with his final words, I love that Jesus does not promise that this life is going to be easy. And once again, how can he, knowing what he's walking into, like how could Jesus, moments away from crying out to the Father, saying, please remove this cup, sweating drops of blood, then being whipped, scourged, spit on, mocked, basically stripped naked, nailed to a tree, stabbed in the side, and left for dead. How could he then, in this last moment to his disciples, be like, guys, when you follow me, it's just a cakewalk. Life is easy. That's not... His reality, and and whether you want to hear it or not, that's not our reality, but that's okay, because he promises that he's going to be with us through the entire journey, that we can still have peace, and we can find it in him, and that in this little while, because of his death and his resurrection, because he's conquered Satan, sin, and the grave, because he's opened up the door for you to receive his spirit, to be forgiven of all your sins, to inherit salvation, and walk with him for all of eternity, what awaits, far outweighs what we're going through. He has conquered the world. He has overcome all things. He makes us this promise. It will only be a little while, so take heart. I have overcome this world, and I have a joy awaiting that will never be taken away. Now, if you're new or visiting this morning or maybe watching online now or in the future, and you, you don't know me, you haven't heard me speak throughout my time here at DPC, I can fully appreciate and understand if you're hearing me talk about suffering and trials and, you know, seasons of in a little while, and without knowing my story, maybe you're thinking to yourself, what, what possibly could such a young and handsome man know about suffering? <laughs> right? I can understand if you think that. But I will just say this, I am the first to tell you that I do not know all of the seasons that you are in, that you have been through, what you have had to endure, but I am also not completely, completely oblivious. I know what it's like to suffer brain damage. Uh, I know what it's like to suffer from clinical depression, and as I've already shared, I know what it's like to hunger for my life to end. I know what it's like to have dreams ripped away from you. I know what it's like for God to call you to lay lifelong dreams down at his feet. I know what it is like to walk alongside a parent as they are dying. I know what it's like to bury one. I know what it's like to walk alongside a parent as they fight for their life and lose a leg. I know what it is like to be cheated on in marriage. Not this one. I know what it's like to be divorced. I know what it's like to have a passion and feel like you're following God's calling for your life only to hit nothing but cement walls the entire time. I don't know maybe all of the suffering and the struggles that you've been through, but I want you to know I have been in those moments where I have cried out, Lord, why and how much longer? And I'm telling you this because every single one of those situations and numerous other ones, time and time again, I have felt him say to me, as I have tears in my eyes, I, this is how I picture, because of his empathy, because of his love, I have felt him whisper with tears in his own eyes because he understands my pain and he comforts me by saying, son, I know it hurts. 
but you have to just trust me. It's just going to be a little while. And what I have for you is so much greater. Our God is so, so good. And there are all kinds of kinds here this morning, or once again, watching online. Maybe you have walked with God for a long time. Maybe you're just starting. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Or maybe you're here and you're trying to decide if you're going to go all in on Jesus. Wherever you are, church, I want us this morning, will we decide to just whatever level of faith, even if it's a mustard seed, to just cling to it to just hold on, to just hold firmly and just trust and believe that he's going to provide for us in this little while. Because here's the thing. It might be a little while, but what we do with our little while, it does matter. It really, really does matter because it can have lasting impacts on not just those around us, but generations to come. And I want great things for your homes. I want great things for your children. And I want great things for this church collectively. And I hope we understand and appreciate that, like, this building, this building, this church, this place that's been around for, I believe, over 50 years now, like, if you think that we aren't walking in the blessing of the faithful who came before us here at DPC, you're wrong. We are. But we can't just sit on that. We have to decide, are we going to be another generation that faithfully clings to the gospel and stands on the words of Jesus so that we can foster this for years and years and years to come, church? That is what I want because I firmly believe with all of my heart the best is yet to come for you, DPC. That God has great things in store, but we have to decide that we are going to be these people who declare, my king has overcome the world, and I'm going to trust him in the little while. Because here's the humbling, somber reality, is that it only takes one generation to ruin everything. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, after God leads his people out of the promised land, through the wilderness wanderings, into the promised land, okay? So now they're in the promised land. Joshua and his army and his leaders, they go, they clear out the land. The Israelites move in. And in Joshua, it tells us that Joshua and his leadership team, his elders, they all pass away. And the first generation born in the promised land does not know the Lord or what he had done for their people. In one generation, if we are not intentional with our commitment to the Lord, you can risk things falling away. And I want better for you. I want better for your kids. I want better for this church. I want better for those little ones downstairs. I believe the Lord has great, incredible things. So I want to encourage you with this because I also believe it works the opposite way because there are generational blessings that you can, you can build and create for your own family. I firmly believe that. Did you know also in the Old Testament, this is years, this is generations after King David would die, you can read numerous times in the story of Solomon and Solomon's son where God will be talking to them and they'll have done something just daft, like something so dumb. And you want to know what God will say to them? But because of my servant David. 
and his son and grandson walked in the blessings of his devoted, intimate relationship with God. And that is what I want for you. That is what I want for the generations to come. That is what I want for DPC a hundred years from now. That maybe a hundred years from now, if maybe three generations from now, There are people who want to waver on the word of God and God will say, I will not let that happen because this church and this building on this day lived for me. And I will bless this place for generations as a result. This is what I want. This is all I want. I just want you hungry and passionate and committed to Jesus. I'm going to call the worship team back up this morning and we're going to wrap things up, wrap up the message. And as we do, let me just move this. I want to, you know, this is going to be, this will be a bittersweet moment for me to worship with you. Because I want to come back and visit. My wife and I are talking about it. I don't know when that might be. And the reality is, is that for some of us, this is bittersweet for me because this, it won't be the last time, but this might be the last time on earth I get to praise our king with you. And that's bittersweet to me. We, don't, we won't not, not do this again, but maybe just not on this side of heaven. I don't want to use this opportunity. You know, there's lots of times where we preach, and, and I want to encourage you guys, and, and I, I hope that I have over my time here with you. But this morning, before I go, before I finish my final message, and I'm sorry, I hope this isn't too abrupt, I want to get in your face a little bit. I want to get in your face. And as we prepare to worship, this is what I want. Don't do it right now. But here's what I want. I want you guys to stand with me this morning. But not just to stand to worship. I want to know that every single person who stands this morning is doing it as a declaration that you are going to stand for Jesus. You are going to build your life on him. You are going to believe that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who has overcome this earth. That maybe you're in a trial right now and you are going to stand as a declaration that you are going to take back ground that you may have felt you lost to the enemy. We are going to stand this morning morning as a body that says we will commit our lives to living for the Lord. I want us to do that this morning. So if that is you, and I'm standing already because I'm telling you, I may not do it here, unfortunately, but I will not stop preaching the gospel. I will not stop teaching scriptures. And I am telling you, first and foremost, I will live my life as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And if that is you this morning, will you stand? Will you stand? I couldn't leave more confident. I couldn't leave this church more confident.
stay committed to the Lord. Keep your eyes on him and take heart because he has overcome all things. And the joy set before us far outweighs all or any of the trials and suffering that we might endure. Now, I can't see everyone here this morning, but I will just say this. If you are here and you are not standing, that is okay. Or if you're here and you stood, and this is the first time in your life you have said, I want that. I want Jesus. And you have not accepted him fully into your life. I want to invite you to come and join me. Be so bold. You are changing your life. Right now, you could be beginning generations of blessings for you and your children and their children. And if you want to do that, I would invite you out, encourage you to come to the front. I would love to pray, welcome you to this team, welcome you to this family, welcome you to this body of believers who will not go silently into the night. DPC, I love you. Let us build our lives on the King and let us worship together this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.